Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're listening to the Wijhay Initiative podcast. These podcast episodes are recordings of our past events that we hold in person on a weekly basis. We hope that by listening to the podcast, you'll be inspired to join us at an event. To keep up with our work, please follow us on Instagram. اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا رب العالمين أما بعد. So for those of you who uh, weren't able to join us uh, for the past Wednesdays, we've been going through this book uh, with the heart in mind. Uh, it's by Sheikh Mikhail Smith, and we've basically been using it as as the basis and. Uh, the platform from which we can discuss some of the topics mentioned in the book. So we're not reading it line by line or anything. And, uh, and so last week we, we spoke about the Prophet ﷺ being someone who most definitely possessed emotional intelligence. And that was something that was necessary for him to be able to convey the message of Islam effectively to the people. And towards the end, I mentioned something, and, and I want to start by kind of explaining it a bit more. One of the terms used in the book by the author is the idea of emotional investment. Right? When it comes to financial investment, I think we know about that. Right? We understand the idea that you, you put money in, and over time, you know, it compounds, and when you go to take out, right, that you'll take out more. That's the goal, that's the hope. Now, what about emotional investment? See, in relationships, we, we seek closeness. We want to be close to people. That's natural. Everybody wants that. But in order to develop closeness, we must invest in the relationship. And that requires what we might call bids for connection. Has anyone ever heard this expression? Human bids for connection. You know when you bid for something and you're trying to like win it? What about a bid for connection? In cases where the relationship's kind of broken down, we often use another expression. We say, I might get it wrong, so correct me here. Eh? I might butcher the term. Is it an olive branch? We extend an olive branch, is that it? Okay. I, I had something to do with Zaytun, right? Like something to do with olives. I just, I didn't remember what it was. All right? So you extend an olive branch. Well, that's another example of a bid for connection. Now, how many of you have heard of the Gottman Institute? Professor John Gottman. Uh, the Gottman Institute is one of the more popular... Uh, marriage, you could say, marriage research think tanks. They've done a lot of research on, on marriage and what, what, what constitutes a healthy marriage and what leads to marriages falling apart. They're the ones who, are very, very, who very famously were able to bring a couple into a lab, watch them for about, I think, 15 minutes or so, and then with like nine, around 90% accuracy predict whether or not they'll get divorced within the next two to three months. 
And one of the main points that they talk about is in marriages, but marriages is just an example of a relationship. Obviously a little bit more advanced, but some of the principles that apply to marriage would apply to everyday relationships as well. One of those concepts is a bid for connection. And one of the things that the Gottman Institute noticed was that when people either did not make bids for connection or those bids for connection went unacknowledged or unreciprocated, that's when you would start to see, that, okay, this, this relationship is not on firm ground. And so to emotionally invest in a relationship means what? It means to acknowledge the other person. But more than that, to really reach out and try to establish a connection. And that's something that has to actively be done. So for example, to notice what people like to like, and then to get that for somebody. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, like a thoughtful gift? Well, okay, we like gifts, inshallah. And then we really appreciate thoughtful gifts. Why? Because it's not just that they gave you a gift. It's that you could tell that they're not just doing it out of duty. They're doing it because they've really thought about who you are and what you'd like. And then they're trying to establish and strengthen the relationship. Or when someone reaches out to you just randomly. Hey, I just wanted to check how you're doing. It's been a while. It means a lot to us. Do you know what I mean? It means a lot. Even though they didn't spend much money on that. But it's a bid for connection. And in, in, I think in the, in the society that we live in, sometimes we can get so busy, we forget to bid for connection. And then we'll wonder why our relationships aren't really thriving. Well, I feel so distant from people. Well, it's because we're so busy that we don't actively make the effort to make bids for connection. And so that's something to really think about, is when we consider our relationships, to consider how much are we investing in those relationships on a daily basis. And especially when it comes to our families, especially. Right? It's a really interesting phenomenon where we'll notice in, in, in certain families that the relationships at home are taken for granted. I, like I've heard kids tell me about their parents that, mashallah, when I see my, my father or my mother outside of the house, they're such a nice person. It's like, wow. We've never seen that person. And then when they come home, it's like a totally different person. Do you understand? And it's really fascinating because who is most deserving of your best character? It's the ones at home. The ones you live with. The ones that you are, are literally your children or your spouse or your parents or siblings. They're the most deserving. You literally have blood relationships with them. But it's very interesting that we'll take that for granted. Well, they have to love me. Actually, no, they don't. They might just outwardly act in a respectful way to you. That, they might do that. But do they actually, deeply, from the depths of their heart, respect you? And want to be in your company? And love you? As a father, that's always my concern, honestly. Do you know what I'm saying? That's something I ask myself almost every day. Is how do my kids feel around me? How, do, how does my wife feel around me? Honestly, if y'all don't like me, 
It's not such a big deal. If my wife is my fan, alhamdulillah. No, seriously, man. I'm very honest about that. Like, that's what matters to me. Because I could deceive you. I could deceive you. I could act like I'm all pious and da da da. You know, I'm a nice guy. I could do that. It's like two hours, I just got to put on an act. You know, deceive you all. And I go home. I can't put on an act for 24 hours a day. Eventually, eventually, it comes out who you are. Y'all get what I'm saying? And it's really tragic to hear of spouses complaining about their spouse. Do you get what I'm saying? Whereas everyone else thinks they're a nice person. And subhanAllah, when you ask the spouse and they sit with their friends, they'll complain. My spouse is like this and my spouse is like that. Really? So what did you accomplish? And so bids for connection. Why, what, what do you think is the reason why we stop bidding for connection? What do y'all think? What are reasons why we stop doing that? Think about it like watering a plant. What do y'all think? What are some reasons? Anyone? Stress. Stress. We stop bidding for connection. No, good. That's a good point. Yes. Because we're so stressed about our own, whatever's going on with ourselves, that we don't even have the time to start thinking about other people. Yeah. Can you explain again what you mean by bidding for connection? Making an effort to reach out and connect with someone. Right? Yeah. I was going to say, it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of energy, right. Now, why do you say that? Because I would say that yes, it can. Especially if you do it as merely a duty. And that's where I start to question whether it's really genuine. The person giving it and the person receiving it. Like... Let's be honest, how many of us have like congratulated someone just out of duty? Like, I have to do it. If I don't, they're going to be like, you didn't say anything. Do you get what I'm saying? And now you get prompts, right? Congratulate so-and-so on this and uh, say happy birthday. You know, like you get the prompts too now. Does it, like, what does that even mean? So imagine we don't do it out of duty. We genuinely do it because we're thinking about it and we're like, we're making a, a point to like ask. So when you say it's, it's, it's a lot of energy, uh, is, I'm assuming you have like a very a specific example in mind that might actually require a lot of energy. I mean in the sense that not only are you reaching out to somebody, but you have to maintain it for a certain level of time. Right, okay. And you say maintain it like in what sense? Back and forth. But they're responding back to you. Oh, right, right, right. You're talking about like texting just like that? Or? Even in talking, you're carrying a conversation forward. Oh, right, right. Okay, okay. I can see where you're coming from. Because sometimes, yeah, sometimes after a long day, you just want to come home. Like, I don't, don't, don't talk to me. I know what you're saying. Yeah, okay, yeah, come on. Right, a lack of perceived growth. Oh, so you're not seeing the fruits of your efforts. And that's like unreciprocated. So you're putting in the bids, but it's not coming back your way. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yes. You take it for granted. And you're like, they're stuck with me now. Like, where's he gonna go? Where's she gonna go? Like, she's here. 
He's here. They're stuck. So you don't have to, you, you feel like you don't have to win it. Right? You don't have to win their, their love. And, and that's, that actually for me, if, if, you know, sometimes when I'm asked to give talks about this, that's usually my first message. My only message is like, guys, you're going to get married. You're going to, you know, at the beginning, mashallah, the amount of compliments that are thrown around in the first one to two weeks, mashallah. Hopefully, at least, in like a healthy one, right? Oh, the food was amazing. Da-da. Everyone was like throwing compliments. Oh, that looks amazing. And after two weeks, let's give it a month, maybe a few months, then you get used to it. Right? Then you, then you take it for granted. And when you start taking it for granted, what happens? It, it does start to weaken the relationship. Right? The author is going to go on to start even t- talking about physical touch. How often do you continue to give hugs? How often do you shake hands? That's why it's actually fascinating in Islam. Have you noticed there's like a lot of physical touch when you meet people? It's usually not the case elsewhere, right? You go to the masjid, and the amount of people you hug in like 10 minutes, you don't hug people for that like in like a whole, a whole month outside, right? Shaking hands here and hugs and sitting down beside each other and you know in prayer, you're like shoulder to shoulder and... Right? It's like really a lot of physical proximity. There's a book that you might want to read on if you're interested in culture. It's called The Culture Code. The Culture Code. In there, the author speaks about how do you build a healthy culture. One of the things he talks about is physical touch. Physical touch. Being physically close to... You know like, it's funny. You know those long road trips where you're jammed into the car? No one looks forward to it. But in retrospect, you're like, that was pretty fun, right? Because there's, a, there's something to physical proximity. That's why purposely here, we ask people to sit on the floor, as opposed to sitting on chairs. Because with chairs, there's like a designated kind of space. That's your space, my space, don't come over here. With this, you're kind of just like, you know, just rubbing shoulders naturally here. And there's a special effect of that. These are all bids for connection where you reach out and shake someone's hand. You hug someone, right? You put your arm around them. You know in Eastern countries, they'll walk holding hands. Now people don't do that here. Lest they be interpreted a certain way. But in those countries, it's totally normal. Anyone ever have it happen to them? And you kind of walk for a moment, kind of go, okay, I guess we're doing this. You know what I'm talking about? Like just... Boom, in public. That's normal. Right? That physical connection. Um, I remember in, in, in where I was. Uh, one brother's like, oh, let me give you a massage. I was like, I don't know about that, but it's a normal thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're just hanging out with a friend, give him a massage. So, this is all, these are all ways of connecting with other people. To actively make that effort. And so our deen promotes that. Actively reach out and say salam to someone, right? Actively reach out and shake their hand. Our deen teaches us to, to actively make that effort. And so these bits for connection is something to think about. How much are we on a daily basis investing in the relationships that we have? And one of the things that's really prevalent today is loneliness. It's really interesting. You could have a thousand followers, two thousand followers, you know, a couple of thousand followers on Instagram, 
And people will still complain that they feel lonely. So you know a lot of people. Yeah, but I don't feel deeply connected to them. Right? Now, I'm, that's going to kind of segue into the next point that I want to begin to talk about today. And that is, when, when we speak about emotional intelligence, usually we think of what? We think about the ability to understand um, other people. If I, if I have high emotional intelligence, it means I'm able to really understand other people and, and see where they're coming from and, and kind of gauge how they're feeling. So we tend to think about other people. But really, emotional intelligence begins with the self. You really cannot understand other people if you don't understand yourself. You can't. It really isn't really possible. Now, let's, let's try to explore why that is. So, Howard Gardner, who popularized the idea of multiple theories of, or, or a theory of multiple intelligences, and so when he talks about emotional intelligence, he talks about what's called intrapersonal versus interpersonal intelligence. The idea is interpersonal is between people. Can I understand you? Right? Can you understand me? Intrapersonal is can I understand myself? Do I understand myself? And this is really interesting because for someone who hasn't given much thought to this idea, this seems almost ludicrous. Like I've, I've, I've expressed this with some people before and they kind of looked at me like, why would I not understand myself? Like if, if there's one person I understand in the world is me. And I would say, no, <laughs> that is a, that's a sign you really don't understand yourself. The fact that you think that you are really easy to understand. No, seriously. There's a lot of work that goes into trying to understand yourself. Alright? So, he has a really beautiful line. I want to read this line verbatim from the book here. So, one aspect of, of, of us is our emotions. See, when people start talking about how do I begin to understand myself, one way to do it is to start to notice some of the most obvious things that you could almost say are physically palpable. So like your emotions, right? To start to notice your emotions. To notice that you're angry. To notice that you're anxious. To notice that you're stressed. To notice that you're feeling a bit irritated. To notice that you're feeling a bit, you know, apprehensive. What are you feeling? Usually we just feel, and we don't even try to identify what we're feeling. And that's just the first step. Because beyond that, you need to begin to ask, well, I'm feeling this, and then you want to, you want to ask, why? And that's not as simple as it may sound. Because a lot of us are busy living outwardly. So I'm doing this, and I'm worried about that person, and I'm thinking about that thing, I need to get that done. Everything's outward, you get it? And there's no moment to pause and say, wait, what am I feeling? You're having a conversation, you're listening to their words, and you're just speaking in response, and you're not thinking, wait. As they said this, I noticed that I felt a little upset about that. Or I felt attacked. To even identify that. That's why when someone else identifies it and you're not aware, you'll deny it. 
right? So the person will tell you, hey, hey, don't, don't get upset over that. I'm not upset. It's like, uh, clearly you are, right? Like your, your reaction shows you're upset. But you're so unaware of what you're feeling that you can't even identify that. Do you understand? Because you're so focused on what they're saying. And it's actually a hard skill to develop. Because you're trying to actually engage in the conversation. Do you get it? So you're trying to focus on what they're saying, but then you also have to simultaneously train yourself to notice how it's impacting you so that when you go to respond, your response is appropriate. And I've given an example before. Let me give you an example to illustrate this point. Imagine you're a parent and your child comes to you and asks you a question that is very inappropriate. Like innocently, like, like a six-year-old who comes up and says, you know, let's not give an example. Let's just do that. So a really inappropriate question. What's a natural reaction of a parent? To be horrified. My child knows about this? Toba, toba, astaghfirullah. And you start to really... You know what I mean? That's the, there's, a, there's this feeling of like disgust. Like you should not know this. You're only six. You're only seven. And then they don't pause to think, wait, what is an appropriate response here? For the child, long term. When the parent reacts like, oh, astaghfirullah, it almost gets angry. How do you know this? Who told you? Who are your friends? Who are you hanging out with nowadays? And the parent goes off. What does the child, the child recognizes, okay, this is not a good topic. They do get that much. But long term, what's the message they receive? When I'm confused about something, this is not the person to go to. Because if I go to them, I'm just going to get this really outlandish response of, Toba, Toba, Astaghfirullah, how dare you think about that stuff and you shouldn't be saying this. And So the, the parent hasn't paused. And it's not easy. Eh? I'm not here to blame parents. As a parent, it's not easy. Holy. In that moment, you have to like bite down and go, okay, let's not respond. So take a breath. You know, like it's not easy. Oh, subhanAllah. Because you care so much about your child. And when you deeply care about somebody, you deeply feel about them. And when you deeply feel, it's hard to regulate your response. That's why people with strangers can be very, very, mashallah, civil. They won't, they, won't, they won't get really upset over something a stranger says. They'll be like, what's wrong with that guy? Go home and someone you love says the same thing and you're like, excuse me? And you get so hurt because you care about them. You care about that relationship. You feel deeply about it. Okay, so let me read this passage here. So the point I was making just to prepare, to prepare this passage is our emotions, if we never pause to ask, number one, not even why we're feeling what we're feeling, just to ask, what am I feeling? What am I feeling? Am I hungry or am I stressed? That's an important question to ask today, no? How many of y'all have identified this for yourselves that sometimes you eat out of stress? Or, you, or you're tired? This is one thing I realized. When I'm feeling really tired, like sleepy tired, where I need sleep, I feel an inclination to eat. I've, ident I've identified this now. And so now when I'm like, I feel like I'm hungry, but, I'm, but you say, I'm not supposed to be hungry, right? Because I ate like three hours ago. I'm not supposed to be hungry. But I have to ask myself, wait, am I hungry? Or am I just tired? And I've experienced this multiple times where I sleep and I wake up and I'm not even hungry. Which is crazy because 
What, six hours have elapsed? I should be more hungry. But it was never hunger to begin with. It was just fatigue. Do you understand that? Right? Guys, what causes headaches? Drink more water, right? Isn't that our classic response to, I have a headache, right? So we have to identify, am I actually stressed or am I hungry? Am I hungry or am I actually stressed? And to be able to identify this, before we even begin to figure out why and then take some action, first is just to identify. But what happens, we, we feel like we don't have time for it. So what ends up happening? He says, by ignoring our emotions, we slowly develop a lack of familiarity with ourselves. Because we don't know what we're feeling. We're just feeling. We're not able to identify it. And this lack of familiarity with ourselves leads to avoiding moments of inner reflection and contemplation. Because right? we, we don't do it. We don't pause to sit with ourselves. We just feel. We don't even know how to do it. We just sit. And this is what's interesting. If someone doesn't know how to like regulate or identify, if they sit by themselves when they're angry, they might actually build themselves up into further anger. You ever seen that? Where a person sits, and they're like, let's call it level one anger. They sit by themselves. Like, I can't believe they did that. You know what? Maybe they meant to do it. Okay, level two anger now. And they, they just build themselves, because they don't know how to process it. And so he says, we feel awkward when we're alone. Because we don't even know who we are. We don't know what we're feeling. We don't know why we're feeling what we're feeling. We don't know why we're thinking what we're thinking. So we feel awkward when we're alone, just as one feels awkward in the presence of a stranger. You ever gone into an elevator with a stranger? And that awkward moment where you're like, I just, you pull out your phone. Isn't that what you do? Pull out the phone. And act like there's something really interesting on the calculator, right? You know what I'm talking about? We feel, just like we feel awkward in the presence of a stranger, we've effectively become stranger to ourselves. We've become strangers to ourselves. We don't know ourselves. And why is this so important? Why would you want to know yourself so much? It's not just so that you understand yourself. It's so that you can control yourself. Do you understand? You can't control something that you've never explored. It's the unknown. And how do you gain control over the unknown? Right? Like think about when you go camping. What's the first thing people do? What do y'all do? Y'all like scope the territory? You know what I'm talking about? You walk around like, what's around here? Let me make sure there's, like, there's nothing harmful. So you scope the territory because I want to make sure I've controlled this territory, this area. You, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, where's the lake? Where's this? You, 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 you mark your territory in a sense. And if you don't do it, imagine you just set up your tent and you sit inside. What are you thinking? I have no idea what's over there or over there. I don't know what's going to happen at nighttime. And there's this fear and there's this, you, just this kind of apprehension. And so the goal of self-awareness is not merely to just become aware of yourself. But it's to use that self-awareness to ultimately gain control over yourself. Okay. There's, there's a lot more I wanted to talk about here, but let me just explain one last thing, inshallah, and then we'll wrap up. We won't even get to the Imam al-Ghazali quote, unfortunately. But I want to talk about self-awareness. And 
we could, we could, and potentially there's more, but let's start with at least considering four modes of self-awareness. Let's start with the idea of, when you think of yourself, one, one mode of self-awareness is, how do others think of you? Right? How do other people think of you? Like, who do they think you are? How would you ever find that out? How would you find out what other people think about you? Any ideas? Because it does matter to us, no matter who you are. It does matter. Yeah? How they act towards you. How they act towards you, right. The only challenge there is you could misinterpret it. Right? So, they could compliment you, and you could think they're being sarcastic. Right? But that's not always because they're not being sincere. It's because you feel very insecure, and you cannot believe that someone could genuinely believe that you deserve that compliment. So there's a possible misinterpretation if we look at their actions. That, that's kind of related to the idea, if you don't know yourself, you could totally not understand other people. Another way is when, you, when they share what they think of you. But how many of us would ever ask anyone else, hey, what do you think? Give me some feedback. We don't do that. We don't do that. It takes a lot of courage. But it also takes really trusting someone. That if I ask them, they're not just going to tear me to pieces. They're going to give me genuine feedback that they think will help me. You know, Umar anhu would say, my true friends are those who advise me and point out my flaws in private. Because they're actually helping me become better. Do you get it? They're helping me notice the flaws that I'm blind to. It takes a lot of courage. And it takes a special kind of friend uh, to do that with, right? To be comfortable enough to ask them for that feedback. Okay, it's not the mic then, it's there. Um, right. The other, the second level of mode of self-awareness that we could think about is uh, how you want other people to think about you. And then consider the, the gap there. So there's, there's a certain image that we want people to have of us. But then the question becomes, what do they actually have of us though? And that gap. Why might there be a gap? Like I, I've seen this actually many times. I've seen people who genuinely care. They're genuinely caring people. But the way they carry themselves, you can never tell. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever seen that in the gym? Or like, you know those dudes who are like, mm, you know? And then the moment you talk to them, like, oh, this is such a nice guy. Or she's so nice. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because people don't always carry themselves and they just kind of walk around with this kind of guard up. Less, you know, just to protect themselves. Until you speak to them, you're like, oh, this is actually a nice person. People care. So what's the issue there? They would want everyone to think that they care. Yet, if you ask around, you'll find out. People think, oh, that person? No, they're not that soft. They're not gentle. They're not warm. Why do you think that is? What are some reasons that might be the case? That there might be a gap between who you think you are or who you want others to think you are, and, who, and, and how they actually think about you. What are some reasons? Yeah? You don't think of yourself that way, so you don't present yourself that way to people. 
Okay, no, but you do think of yourself a certain way. Like, you, you, you want yourself to be seen a certain way. Right? But how come we're not able to convince others that we are actually that way? Do you get it? So, like, I want people, I think we all want people to think that we're caring, we care about people. But why might it be that someone doesn't actually feel that way? Yeah, but... So you're saying the other person isn't aware of how? Or you're saying the person themselves? Okay, okay. So they're not aware of how their behaviors might actually not be conveying who they are? Yeah, I would agree on that point, absolutely. There's, there's this quote here that you can think about. That we only trust we belong to the, to the degree we're willing to risk being known. Meaning, if you only share 50% with people, don't be surprised when they misunderstand you. Why? Because they're, they're only seeing 50%. And so they're going to think you are the 50%. That's all they've ever seen of you. Meanwhile, you're actually 100%. You're 100% of who you are. Does that make sense? How, how, how much are you willing to risk being known by people? And this is probably one of the most challenging things for people to do. Is to be trusting enough to say, Hey, I'm going to share myself with you as a person of who I am. In the hope that you will actually understand me. If I only share 50% of myself with you, then what happens? You're going to treat me based on that 50%. But I'll never feel fully understood. Why? Because the other 50% has not even gone addressed. And it's not your fault. It's I never shared it. It's on me to share it. Does that make sense? How much are we willing to risk being known? And subhanAllah, this is one of the most powerful ways to connect with people. Think about that. The more you share with people, and now you have to be careful. I'm not saying just go around and just overshare. Right? You know what I'm talking about? There is oversharing. That's not the idea here. The idea though is, when you find good people to be around, how do you find the comfort and the courage? It takes courage to risk being known and to share those ideas. Because then you become relatable. Does that make sense? You become relatable. You become... People start to notice, oh you're, oh, you're actually a lot like me. I had a friend, I had a friend, subhanAllah, this guy, he used to pray, this is a madrasa where I was studying, pray every single day, like all day, he was super, super like, like a worshipping person. He was from France. Worship, 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 like... To the point that it was very hard to connect with him. He was like so spiritual and so serious. Like he would just, he would in a, in a, in a normal conversation just start crying. Because someone would bring up death or something. He's like ball his eyes out. You're like, oh, okay. Like, we're not trying to, you know, we approve. I respect that. But it does kill the conversation. You know what I mean? Like you're trying to have a conversation. Boom. Guy's gone. He's crying now. It's done. Okay, I guess we're subhanAllah bihamdi, right? And you walk off. And I remember one day he played soccer with me. Which is a shock. I couldn't believe when he walked on the pitch. 
And then he started pulling up moves. Then I was like, whoa. Wallahi, in that moment, I felt so much closer to him. Because what? I finally saw myself in him to some degree. Like, oh, oh, you're, you're, you're like me. Oh, like, yeah, we play sports too. Okay. Because before this, all I saw was you, mashallah, and the Quran, and the musalla, and, and dhikr. And that's all I saw. Finally, I saw something where I'm like, okay, we're kind of similar here. Y'all get what I'm saying? You know when shuyukh online will like share something uh, that's not related to like a khutbah, you know? You have like two imams of a masjid fighting with one another like a joke. It's like a fake beef. You ever seen this? It's happening right now in Dallas. A fake beef between uh, Imam Omar Suleiman and Imam Yasser Birgis, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a running joke. People like that because, like, oh, they have a sense of humor too. Okay, they're not just people who just, mashallah, Quran all day and uh, khutbahs all day, right? So, to share that and to risk being known, it takes courage. But subhanallah, its paybacks are great because you feel deeply connected to people. And I really think that's the reason why we feel lonely at times, even though we know people. And we might know a lot of people. But we never share ourselves. And often when you share yourself, people will share themselves with you. And the question becomes, who's going to take the initiative to share? Does that make sense? In the hope of building that connection. The last two modes is how do you think of yourself? Right? So how do other people think of you? How do you want them to think of you? And that's going to be based on how you think about yourself. And that's a long topic. I'm not going to go into that. Because we could actually be really deluded. No, no, I'm serious. Good for good or bad. Like you'll have people who are convinced they're not smart. Meanwhile, they get top marks in the class. You ever seen that? Oh, I'm just so dumb. And you're like, then what does that make me? Like, dude, you're first in the class. Like, I must be what? Right? But they're not saying it out of humility. They genuinely believe it. Or I'm so ugly. And you're like, mm, no. Right? That's when you can actually be very deluded about who you are. And there's many reasons for that. Right? An example is given here of like, you know a circus, a circus elephant? From a young age, what happens? It's like domesticated, it's controlled, there's like a rope and it's, you know? As it gets older, the rope remains the same, but what happens? The elephant doesn't try to run away. Learned helplessness. The onlooker is like, man, if that elephant just makes a charge for it, it's gone. That rope is not about to hold that elephant. But it's never even considered challenging the elephant. Uh, sorry, the elephant's never even considered challenging and running against the rope because that's all it's ever known. And it's a miscalculation of its own strength. But that's all it's been taught its whole life. Imagine one day somebody could speak elephant and explain, hey, you see that rope? It stands no chance against you. And the elephant would be like, no, 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 trust me, my whole life I've been stuck in it. You'd be like, just try it out. I'm, I'm telling you, with your weight, you got that thing, no problem. Right? And then it runs away. But that's if someone can convince it that what it's believed all along has been wrong. Do you understand? So we could actually be very mistaken about it. And then comes the point of who we actually are. And the only one who can view that objectively is God. When I see you, I see you through the lens of my own biases. And when you see me, you see me through the lens of my own biases, of your own biases. 
And we even see ourselves in, le- in light of our own past experiences and traumas and you know, uh, interactions that we've had with people. So even we're not very objective towards ourselves. The only one who knows us, and that's why we say, the only one who knows you better than yourself is God. is because Allah's knowledge of you is objective. It's not flawed. It's not deficient. It's not, it's not informed or influenced by biases. Allah does not have biases. Allah sees us as we are. Our goal has to be to figure out and discover who we actually are to the best of our human abilities. And in doing that, we can begin to actually understand people. And so I'm going to finish with this point here, which is, I was explaining how if you don't understand yourself, it's almost impossible to understand other people. Why? Because am I actually understanding you? Or is that just my own bias? that I'm just not even aware of? Is that just my own, right, my own misunderstanding? Or is that my own insecurity? Is that my own, I'm reacting not to you, but to my own insecurity. And that happens a lot. When something comes up that we're not, we're not comfortable with, we can overreact. And it's not because the other person necessarily did something wrong, but because we're triggered by something within us. But if we don't even recognize that it's from within us, we're going to attribute it to the other person. Yeah, you're the problem. You triggered me. It's like, no, they didn't. Because there was a hundred other people in the room. They didn't get triggered. You got triggered. Which says something about you. Not to attack the person, but to say, maybe if you explored yourself and recognized, oh, that person didn't mean it in a malicious way. But I'm just so... I have trauma. I have past trauma in relation to that issue, or I'm insecure, I'm insecure about that, and that's fine. That's why I took it so personally. Oh. And the other people who don't have that past trauma, who don't have that insecurity, they're not going to react this. They're going to actually be quite charitable in their interpretation. Oh the, oh, the speaker didn't mean it that way. You get what I'm talking about here? And so, are we reacting actually to the other person, or are we just reacting to ourselves without even realizing it? And that's why it's so important to know yourself. And inshallah, next week we'll continue this discussion about knowing yourself. And we'll begin with the quote of Imam al Ghazali, inshallah. Jazakumullahu khayran. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us to. إن الله على كل شيء قدير